to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. He's the fastest Australian to run a marathon at the North Pole, has been Chief Creative Officer worldwide for J. Walter Thompson and their staff of over 10,000, and today presents at creative events around the globe alongside his role as co-founder of Sendle, the new way to send parcels door-to-door, person-to-person. Yes, it's true to say my guest is a busy creative. His name is Craig Davis, and I'm just a little excited to be talking to him. And we're going to talk about, well, on the topic of it's not really about the money, honey. Hello, Craig. Hello, Robert. Very nice to be talking with you. Well, that's good. I, I'm very pleased to be speaking with you. And uh, I know you're jetting around the place. I'm very pleased to have uh, landed you or got you whilst you're landed in, in, uh, in our time zone. So that's great news. Now, look... Um, the topic today, the one we're going to kind of try and pull apart a little, is this whole uh, movement, I, I guess you'd call it, I'm sure you'll tell me, of conscious capitalism. So perhaps, Craig, I could just invite you just to um, tell us what the heck's it all about, and frankly, why should we give a damn? Well, that's an excellent question. Thank you. So, so <laughs> conscious capitalism, for, for some people, that just sounds like an oxymoron, that, you know, how could you have a business or for capitalism be conscious of anything other than making money. But mm. when you say this is a movement, I think that's the right word. There's just a growing number of people in the world who are looking for business or, or wanting to design their own business in a way which solves a, a multitude of problems and challenges. So, of course, business doesn't work unless you're making money. Uh, but it's not really the purpose of business. The, the making money is a happy byproduct of running a really successful business. And so people are starting to realise that to design a business that works for all its stakeholders, customers, employees, if there's outside investors, for them to, uh, for the wider community and the environment, that, that if you design your business and operate your business with those stakeholders in mind, you're going to do a whole lot better than business as usual. Hmm. Okay. So is that is that in a, in a in a nutshell what conscious capitalism is? Is it designing a business so that all those around you, when you say your stakeholders, you know, for many of our audience, those stakeholders, as you say, are customers. There may also be family, colleagues, individuals that are sort of freelancing with them. I mean, is it is it literally as straightforward as designing a business that really serves those people? Is is that what it is? Well, look, in broad terms, yes, it is, but, but more particularly, there are four tenets or principles of a conscious business, which, mm. um, which I can out, you know, step you through really quickly. The yeah, first let's is do it. that, that the, the business has a purpose higher than profit, um, and lots of examples of this, but basically where, um, and this is what I mean about designing a business this way, where the founders or the leaders of that business have very deliberately um, set out to create a, a strategic imperative, you know, a, a vital part of the strategy of that business is about what it's there to do, mm-hmm. or maybe more particularly not what it's there to do, but why it exists in the first place. So, um, you know, an example, one of the founders of Conscious Capitalism is a guy called John Mackey, who is still the CEO and chairman of Whole Foods Markets in the US. 
which is now a big company, but John started that company 30 years ago with a single store, as mm. a single grocery store in Austin, Texas. Um, the fact that it's grown into a, a $12 billion by revenue company and now employs tens of thousands of people, that's great, but he'd be the first one to say that was never the ambition. The ambition was to as lofty as this sounds, was to make the world better with good food. And they started doing that one community at a time. And as a consequence of that, they've, they've developed such loyalty amongst their customers and their staff who almost never leave the organisation, their suppliers mm. and the wider community that they spend next to nothing on marketing. You know, the marketing spend is very, very low. Uh, and if you compare that with, say, an organisation in this market like Woolies or Coles, Mm. Uh, you know, it's quite a striking difference. Yes. So in other words, when, when you get the purpose right, people will, will kind of radiate that and communicate it for, for you. Uh, you know, they'll do it um, out of the goodness of their heart. They'll do it because they actually believe in what you're doing. Mm. Look, can, um, I, can I just throw something at you and just, and just put you right on the spot here? Let, let's sure. imagine that we've got um, somebody listening in this afternoon. Let's say that person is a yoga therapist a solo business yoga therapist and that person's goal one of their goals is to create enough revenue to keep food on the table and to do work that he or she enjoys mm-hmm. so how how would that person then uh, what might they be how might they sort of translate those kind of drivers that they've got at the moment how might they put those through the sort of conscious capitalism model and what might they come up with as a, as a, as a new sort of driving um, uh, sort of tagline, if you like, or, or a way to think about the business? Sure. Well, you know, thanks for putting me on the spot. Well, that really appreciate <laughs> Don't worry, I, I can hit and, the edit and, button if I have to. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I'm off to yoga this afternoon. Oh, there you go. Me other. too. So, so there you go. I've been <laughs> contemplating it. Um, so my answer to that would be, you know, you need to, it's not about creating a tagline or a campaign, it's oh, about okay. building and actually a, a more um, creative, successful and sustainable company. But, but the way I would answer that for say, if someone had a yoga business uh, is to, to think about it not in terms of making people, not in terms of say, uh, making people um, fit or flexible Mm-hmm. Uh, but to but to talk about maybe what they're doing, the purpose of what they're doing is more to do with general well-being, and and it sort of leads to a, another theme really, which is, you know, the notion of well-being is actually getting a lot of traction in the workplace sure. now because people are overwhelmed and exhausted and too often depressed about their work, and so a lot of employers, whether they're large companies or small ones, are starting to realise that the whole notion of work-life balance is pretty flawed. Uh, you know, you can't, it, it's it's almost impossible to balance your life. And if you talk to younger people now, they'll go, look, you know, it's, it's all a bit of a furphy. It's mm. about work-life integration. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be channel changing between work and life most of your waking hours, and yep. that's okay. But what it does point to is the need for a greater, greater capacity to keep yourself well physically mm. and mentally. So if I was back to being, a, you know, if I was a yoga instructor, uh, or a fitness instructor, um, or a GP, or uh, you know, or a kinesiologist, or or a yep. nutritionist. Anyone who's really in that in, in that, that space, um, in that space, yeah. I'd be thinking very much about positioning 
your business around this kind of central purpose of well-being. So mm. I think for two reasons. One, because I think it speaks to a whole bunch of really important trends in the world and there's a market and there's an appetite for it. But more importantly, because I think it gives you a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Mm. You know, there's not there's not a, a successful entrepreneur or there's not many successful entrepreneurs who said, my purpose is to make a lot of money. No. You know, I mean, of course, there's exceptions to the rule and maybe some people who have been successful have gone, you know, that's what I'm setting out to do, make a lot of money. But most successful entrepreneurs, most successful small, medium and large businesses were were created around, created by somebody who said, there's something that there's value I want to bring to the world, there's a problem I want to solve. Um, and, and those stories, when you look at them, tend to be pretty pure. Hmm. And people have had a purpose. There has been something that drives their passion, their energy, their enthusiasm around the business. And it's not about money. They know, though, that if they do a good job, people will pay for it. Mm. You know, so that's what I meant earlier about it being a byproduct rather than being something that you go for directly. Yeah, sure. You know, but- I love this expression. There's a really nice expression that says um, um, profit is no more the reason for business and breathing is the reason for living. So mm. sure, you need to breathe to live, but it's surely not why you're alive. And I think that that actually speaks no, that is, to that is business, nice, isn't businesses. It? Yeah, and look, and I think I, I guess the thing is, you know, we both know that a lot of people running their own small businesses um, do, from time to time, and sometimes a, a good deal of their time, are in a position where things can get very difficult, quite challenging, very overwhelming, and it takes a skill and a, and a strength, doesn't it, to be to at those times when you know when the going gets tough, to be able to stand back and say, well, hang on a minute, my greater purpose is whether it's you know to improve well-being one breath at a time or to whatever whatever it might be that is our kind of driver it's it's quite a big ask sometimes i think just to be able to focus on that greater purpose but what you're saying is we just need to start practicing that and doing that and then perhaps we can all enjoy a bit of the john mackie experience is that is that your thinking well, look, yes, yeah, so that's, that's part of where you start. So this whole point about purpose. Um, but as I said, there's sort of four basic principles oh, yeah, here. Sorry. So one is purpose, right. and profit. <laughs> the, the second, and in no particular order, but the, the second one we can talk about is treating your stakeholders as partners. Yep. So, you know, traditional business thinking um, has a lot of trade-offs. It has people thinking that in order for them to do well themselves, they have to be pretty tough on their supply chain, mm. for example, um, and that the best supplier is someone who you can screw the best price out of. Mm. Now, you know, and I'm painting with a broad brush. No, here. you are. And pop- it's familiar and it's horrible. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to actually treat those people as stakeholders. So... Um, uh, you know, I could I could talk about well, you know, a lot of companies really, but I'll give you one example mm. in the food industry. So the food industry is tough, like every business, yep. uh, and the fast food industry is particularly tough. But there's a there's a phenomenally successful company in the US um, that's maybe 15 years old now called Chipotle. Mm. It was started by a guy who went and studied um, to be a chef. And his dream at the time was to create a fine dining restaurant. And his plan to to fund his fine dining restaurant was he would start making fresh Tex-Mex food. And that was going to be his cash cow. And when he made a lot of money, enough money, he would stop that 
and he would fire up his fine dining restaurant. Mm. Well, it turns out that, that his approach to fresh Tex-Mex food became so successful he never got to open his fine dining restaurant. <laughs> and now Chipotle's got close to a 1,000 stores in the US. Um, but the thing that makes it so remarkable in terms of stakeholders is from the beginning, and this is part of what people have bought into, is from the beginning he said, look, I'm only going to buy ingredients that are raised with respect for the animals mm. and the farmers and the environment. Th- those are the relationships that I want. And I'm prepared to pay more money. I'm prepared to pay top dollar, actually, for those sorts of ingredients. But because he didn't just do that behind the scenes, that was always a part of his uh, MO in the business. He yep. shared that story with everybody. And so people you know, quickly came to understand, his customers and his employees, his staff, came to understand that that's part of the way Chipotle operates, mm. a sense of fairness in the system. And so now, again, uh, as with the Whole Foods example, they, they do spend a significant amount of money on marketing, but um, a lot of it is very local marketing, and uh, mo- their most successful marketing is still word of mouth. So mm. they've got a very transparent relationship with their entire supply chain. If you go on YouTube, you can you can see interviews with farmers who, who supply the Chipotle uh, network who are just happy to talk about dealing with that company, how pleasant they are, how they're getting paid a fair price, um, how it's very different from their experience of the food industry elsewhere. Mm. You know, so they've, set, they've laid down a set of kind of operating practices and principles um, and they've said, you know, we, we can't espouse this approach to our business and not be transparent and open and accountable for it and so they're completely prepared to do those things that's fantastic look Uh, and i I guess again just hearing you say that and particularly when you mentioned word of mouth i mean we uh, we know it within our community that word of mouth continues to be the single most effective way to grow your business and i guess and also hearing you talk there about treating people as partners treating your suppliers whomever as partners Really, in so many ways, I think the um, the solo and micro community, certainly in Australia, can actually lead this um, conscious capitalism charge. Because I think if there's one business model where we can immediately benefit from uh, treating our suppliers and the people around us as partners, it's when you're working as a soloist and you're working with other freelancers. Because the yeah. word gets out so rapidly, doesn't it, about what you're like to work with, what you're like to deal with, what you're like to trade with. So uh, I, th- I think that's wonderful. So the purpose was the first one. Treating people as partners was your second point. Kind of where to next? So uh, we can, the next one we can talk about is, is culture, is conscious culture. And, and really conscious culture is about being very clear on uh, defining and living by or living up to your values as a company. And it's, it's easy with these things to, to think about, you know, well, my company is just one person. Mm. Uh, it makes it, it, makes it uh, all the more significant, um, not less significant. You know, all companies are just people and bigger yep. companies are kind of people plus a balance sheet. But, but, but smaller companies are just people. And it's, it's, um, it's very powerful when, when that, small company or organization is very clearly anchored in values that mm. matter to the founder or the or the you know the proprietor um, and the best values aren't um, sort of you know just lofty um, 
uh, strings of adjectives, but mm. they tend to be, you know, simple, pragmatic things. And the best values are actionable. The best values are verbs. So, um, you know, some of some of your listeners will probably have read Tony Shea's book called Delivering Happiness. Tony Shea is a serial entrepreneur. Um, he started Zappos uh, about mm-hmm. 14, 15 years ago in the US. Uh, but, but from the very beginning, when they set up that company, they said, look, culture is our strategy. It's, our, it's the one thing that people can't replicate. We're selling shoes online. There's nothing new about that. Mm. You can buy shoes online through Amazon or shoes online through eBay or countless other sites. The thing that's going to separate us at Zappos is we're going to build a culture which is so strong, other people can't compete with it because what it turns into from a customer's point of view is absolutely extraordinary service, mm. the kind of service that they will remark on, you know, genuinely remarkable service. So you can, you know, you can buy, you can order shoes up to 11 p.m. at night in the U.S. from Zappos, and they'll be delivered by 8 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> so it's become, you know, it's become, yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. And their values, you know, they defined as they got bigger. Initially, as, as a small company, um, Tony and his and his co co-founder would interview every single person that came into the organization and then it got to the point after a couple of years where that was just impractical and they went well we better, we better define these values really clearly and so they did mm. they wrote down what turned out to be 10 um, values and they're things like um, open honest uh, fun and weirdness so they encourage um, a lot of kind of personality and character in the workplace yeah. if you see photos of their work environment unlike it it doesn't look like an insurance company with you know people in sterile cubicles mm. but everyone everyone has personalized their workspace kind of to the nth degree it looks like a right. Christmas party every day of the year <laughs> uh, and so there's a lot of you know I keep talking about American examples but mm. I could I could you know talk about some Australian examples too where people have gone to the put the time and effort into defining what it is that really matters to them and and writing them down uh, those values writing them down as verbs mm. so it could be you know Honesty could be one, or integrity might be another, or service might be another one. But the way that those are expressed um, are really important. So it might be about, you know, delivering, um, oh, my God, levels of customer service. Mm. And then, oh, my God, that's amazing, levels of customer service. and so you could end up with, a, you know, a short list or a long list of those values. And then the trick is to absolutely live by them mm. and to and to encourage, recognize and reward anyone on your team, whether that's one other person or five other people, for doing exactly that too. Yeah, look, and again, I, uh, terrific. And I, and I think <clears throat> it's so. Um, it would be so nice to think that, that businesses were much more open and transparent in sharing their values because too often unfortunately you know i'm a teeny weeny bit cynical is when we go across some of the um online website presence that we see for particularly some of our corporates we see these things banded around as a sort of a tab on a on a page but we don't see it actually um being presented in the day-to-day business but as you've said with that zappos example the important thing is to ha- keep it alive and, and absolutely make it real, isn't it? It's not something that you stick up on your website and forget about. Yeah, well, look, you've got to. I mean, another example is a, is, a, is Buffer. So you can have a look at Buffer, B-U-F-F-E-R, Buffer.com. Mm. Um, it's a young 
uh, tech startup company with about 20, 30 employees. A lot of them are scattered around the world because they're interested in working with the smartest people they can find. They're less interested in them all being kind of based in the same town. Yep. Um, but Buffer um, has um, a policy which is called, well, it's all around radical transparency, but they have an open salary policy. So you or anyone listening can go to the Buffer website and you can see exactly who's working in the organisation, exactly what they're getting paid for their role. Mm. You can see exactly what the differences are between someone performing that role in, say, uh, the US in San Francisco or somebody who does the same role in um, New Delhi right. or Manila. So they have, you know, they have stated differentials for uh, cost of living adjustments. You can... You can see whether people, if you want to, if you want to work for Buffer and you want to take some stock in the company, uh, it tells you what you need to sacrifice in terms of salary. Mm. It's all there on the website. There is Fantastic. absolutely no secrecy around this stuff. With Whole Foods, by the way, so you know we touched on them earlier. They also have an open salary mm. policy. You can see what the CEO earns. You can see what the store manager earns. You can see what a casual shelf packer earns. Um, you can see any bonuses and benefits. There is full disclosure around this stuff. And the reason that this is important, so for some people listening, they might go, wow, that's all pretty freaky. I don't want anyone to know exactly what I'm earning. <laughs> I'm sure, um, yeah, I'm not, of our audience, hopefully not too many people thinking that, but uh, I imagine with some businesses, most definitely, yes. What do you say to those people? Well, I think you say that there's actually real power in disclosure and there's mm. power in honesty. And, I, you know, there's a number of reasons for that. I think, you know, I often talk to people about the fact that business as usual is pretty much all over. And I say yeah. that because there's, look, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of change and disruption in the world. But I think that there's kind of four things that we really need to understand. And that is that people are smarter than we used to be. Mm. So we literally get about four IQ points smarter every decade. <laughs> um, and so it means that as a, you know, I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old, that means when I talk to my 10-year-old, um, you know, she is appreciably more intelligent than me. And that's mm. not just her genetic inheritance. That's because she's already, and my old kids, they've already had a higher level of education than I, than I had at their age. Mm. So people are quite literally smarter than they used to be. And it's the difference between, say, um, Lego, which I grew up with and still a huge fan of, but Lego <laughs> is bounded by the rules of, of the, you know, the, the physical world. Um, and Minecraft, which Minecraft, you know, defies gravity, is not is not bound by conventional physics. Is a multiplayer platform uh, and transcends time and space or geography. Mm. And so, you know, you don't have to explain that to kids; they just, just get, get it, it and yep. get on with it. You know, well, so, that, so people that, are people are smarter than they used to be. At least Lego, at least Lego, you got something you can build on, which is good. That was a joke, yeah. but anyway, carry on. Next, what, are the, what, were the other, what were the other ones you well, said the other, before? Well, the other, the other ones are the people are looking for meaning, and so whether you're a small business operator or, or you work in a big corporate, it's still true that, um, you know, we're all looking for meaning. One of the reasons is we're all getting a bit older, and as, um, you know, in Australia, we're on average about 38 years of age. Obviously, the workplace is significantly older than that, but the average mm. is 38 in America now, it's about 44. In Europe, it's 45 plus. In Japan, it's 50. Um, and so quite naturally, with that, that kind of middle-agedness, there's mm. a rise in, in middle-aged values and people are going, you know, what am I here for? What's the meaning of life? And they're asking those questions. Yeah. But, but it's, not, it's not just uh, 
everyone having a kind of simultaneous middle age crisis. It's you know young people um, are in that zone too. If you look at in Australia, for example, there's a there's a website called ethicaljobs.com.au. Mm. Right. Now you go back five years, there were about ten thousand monthly visitors to that site. You look at it now, and there's 160,000 monthly visitors to that site. Um, most of them young people looking for a job that they think will be, well, ethical, but uh, will be meaningful. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and graduates in the, in the UK, there's some recent research around this, graduates in the UK, uh, would, the majority of them would happily sacrifice almost a third of their salary to do something that they considered meaningful, meaningful and they yeah. thought would make a difference. So you know, if you think about that and, and the fact that those millennials are going to make up three quarters of the workforce in 10 years, mm. then it's a signal you can't afford to ignore. Absolutely. So those, before we go back to the fourth tenet, those other four points and you said smarter, people are smarter, they're looking for meaning. What oh, we're better connected. We're better connected okay. than we've ever been. So yeah. one of the one of the byproducts or consequences of technology is that all the relationships between us as people, inside and outside companies, across communities, between countries, uh, between humanity and the environment, or enterprise and the environment, all those relationships are more visible and more mm. measurable. Um, you know, social networks mean that people can instantly provide insights, share knowledge, shape opinions criticise uh, what's going on. Yep. And we're starting to understand now that everything is, without sounding like a hippie, but really everything actually is connected. Mm. And the and the kind of the relationships or the interdependencies between business and society, between societies, uh, between societies and business and natural systems, all those things are becoming more visible. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, most people are just expecting that, uh, that there is a high level of disclosure and accountability um, around every business. Yep. People and just expect that to be the case now. And then the last thing is that mm. you know we're also we're also more aware that the choices and decisions that we make have consequences. They have kind of a knock-on effect. Yep. So if you if you kind of wrap that up and go, um, so the world that we're working in now is populated with people who are smarter, and they're looking for meaning. And they're better connected than they've ever been, and they're more kind of awake aware, yep. and, and aware. Then those are very different conditions to operate mm. a business in than the ones of 20, 30, 40 years ago. And Absolutely. so you can't hope to be successful in this environment if you ignore those things. No, you can't hide under your desk and expect this is going to blow over because it's not. It's a change. No. It's a change. No. So let's go back no. to your Craig to your four tenets. So you talked about purpose. You talked about treating people as partners. You talked about culture. You've talked about lining up, uh, aligning to your values within culture. What's what was the fourth tenet? Well, and the last one is around leadership, Robert. It's mm. around you know conscious leadership. So let's just talk about that briefly. Mm. You know, nothing changes in a company unless uh, leadership is focused on the right things. And, and in conscious leadership, that's focused on supporting and elevating the people around them. Again, whether that's, you know, whether that's one person, whether it's just themselves, um, or whether it's, uh, you know, five or ten people. Um, and that's as opposed to really accumulating and exercising power. It's, it's sort of a shift from being, um, from hoarding information, for example, to sharing it, you know, back to transparency. So you don't have to be completely transparent with the outside world, but 
you should be really transparent with all the people in the company mm. because that's part of what is attractive for good people. They want to come and work with you because you're you're prepared to share what you know and they're, they're going to learn more as a consequence and it that's feels authentic. And, and again... You, you need, Sorry, and I and, and I guess we should just remember all, all those people that are working for us or as suppliers or customers are smarter, they're looking for meaning, they're more connected and they understand consequences. So Absolutely. It's, it goes around. So you know, you, you, that's right, you've got to treat them a little differently. So mm. you know, one of the things that's very clear is that leaders with um, tons of research around this, but, but the people that perform best and um, uh, end up being most successful. They've got very high um, emotional intelligence skills. And the good news about that is uh, that those skills are very trainable. You can practice them and you can get better at them. It's not like you're just born with a certain level of uh, capability. Mm. These are all things that you can learn and can improve. And, you know, they're things like self-awareness. They're things like the ability to self-regulate so you don't you know, have a hair trigger and fly off at people mm. or you don't just react to people in difficult situations. Um, they include things like motivation so you're actually drawing on the things that matter to you deeply sort of you know it's related to the values conversation we were mm. having. Um, it's the ability to empathize with other people and, and you know often people go you know when I talk about empathy they go oh that's all being that kind of soft and mushy stuff. Actually mm. it's not got very hard consequences. If you want to design a solution for people, no matter what business you're in, then the first thing you need to do is empathize with the people you're designing for. You need to mm. understand Who they uh, are. the problems yep. that they've got rather than just tear into it going, I know what the problem is and I know how to fix it. Mm. Um, so empathy is super important. And of course, when it comes to managing people and working with people and leading people, it's, it's doubly so. And then the last part of social skills. So, and the reason that social skills are so important, by social skills I don't mean the ability to go and play golf with clients on the weekend, <laughs> although that's good too, mm. or go down to the pub and tell the funniest story. But the reason that social skills are important is because, again, no matter what business you're in, you find yourself in the middle of a collaborative effort because the world is moving from uh, this notion of kind of control, centralised control and hierarchy um, and, and owning things to uh, one that's much more about networks and collaboration. Mm. And you can see that in every industry. You can see that happening. And so one of the opportunities, I think, for, for, um, for small businesses and for owner-operators is to get in front of these trends mm. um, and to uh, and start using these principles um, you know, in a clever way because it gives you a jump on bigger organisations yep. that are, you know, still a bit tied up with legacy and a bit slow to move and a bit mm. bureaucratic and a bit political. Well, look, and, I, and I think that one of the beautiful things about, one of the many beautiful things about a very small business is, of course, we have the agility. You know, we can, we can move quickly. And it's fact, so much of what you're saying, I think about um, businesses within our forums and within our sort of community. And I would say a number, of, uh, a good number are, absolutely practicing a lot of the things you're talking about here but clearly it's good for all of us i think to better and to better understand it and to um, just review what we're doing but tell me where out of interest where does australia sit in the you know in this whole sort of this whole topic of 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 being conscious in business how are we doing can you know you're you're you travel a lot internationally you're involved in this whole thing internationally how are we doing 
Well, I think Australia is starting to um, get with the program. I think there's a lot of businesses here that I could point to that are kind of uh, on this journey. So, uh, you know, this movement was born out of the US. And one mm. of the things that I, I didn't explain earlier is that it's not driven out of academia. It's not really driven out of theory, although the, the, there is pretty strong academic uh, underpinning mm. now. But it, it was it was started really by a bunch of entrepreneurs, people who were running their own businesses, who just went, uh, you know, I want to run a business, but I want I want to feel satisfied with the business that I'm running, with the business that I'm creating, and it's not just about the money. Mm. Um, and as it turns out, um, you know, most of the businesses that run this way outperform their peers anyway. They're more resilient businesses, and they're more profitable, and they're more sustainable. So... Um, people in Australia are starting to embrace this. Um, there's a, without naming names, but there's a, a friend of mine who used to run a very big law firm uh, in Sydney, and uh, and left a few years ago because he, you know, to quote him, he would say, you know, I loved the law, but I hated being a lawyer. What? And and he went, oh, this has got to be a better way to practice the law. And so he set up his own company with um, with a few other partners six or eight years ago now, and now there's about 35 people there. Um, but from the beginning, they they decided they would never charge on a time based basis. They went one of the most you know kind of corrupting forces in legal firms is this is this billing in in six or three minute increments, mm. and they went, we're just not going to do that. And so they never have. And so there's a series of things that they said were really important to them in setting up this practice that would make them, you know, love being a lawyer again Mm. and that they saw as being really valuable for their clients who are mostly smaller businesses. And so, you know, that's that's an example. You know, I could point to a a travel company who who has set itself up on around these sorts of principles, looking after its staff. You know, one of the things it turns into is very high levels of, of loyalty yeah, um, you of know, with, with customers um, with customers and with suppliers and with, if you have them, staff. Yeah. Um, and so so I'm involved with an event uh, that's in June where we're going to, uh, it's the third time we've done it, it's the Conscious Capitalism Summit, um, and that'll be a mixture of small businesses, large businesses. And where does that uh, take place, Greg? Sorry, where? Yeah. Uh, it's in this, it's in Sydney at okay. the Ivy hmm. on uh, on June ten. Okay, good. And so what? And, 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 yeah, and where can we find out more about that? That's at Conscious. Uh, if you go to Conscious Capitalism Australia, okay. If you just throw that into Google, yep. you'll find the um, the site, and it will be. It's all over the site. You can buy yourself a ticket and come along. Hmm, fantastic. And look, um, when you uh, I mentioned that the intro um, that you, you with uh, along with uh, James Moody, who who we spoke to here a while ago, you set up Sendle um, quite recently. And I'm guessing that, well, I don't think I have to guess, do I? You you would have set this up following those sort of tenets. So it's not just that you're talking about this, but you're practicing it in your daily work. And how's how's that going? How's that business going? Running that way. Yeah, look, uh, you're exactly right, Robert. So we didn't want to, you know, I certainly didn't want to just run around talking about this and not uh, and not walk the talk. So mm. we're central from the beginning has been built around these principles. So we are a for-profit delivery service, uh, but we're also 
Uh, we're also part of a B Corp, which means we've got a... Yep. So that's a, a, a B Corporation is a legal entity and uh, that's established a little differently from a conventional company. And we have a higher level of accountability around our social and environmental practices, which we are audited, for, audited on. So there's some real rigour around that. So we set ourselves up as a B Corp. We, um, we're carbon neutral, so we're the only delivery service that's carbon neutral. So, you know, kind of proof you can have your cake and eat it too. So we're, you know, we're cheaper than other delivery services and we would argue provide a much better level of service, but we're, we're also environmentally sensitive and mm. completely carbon offset. Um, in terms of values, when we were talking about values before, we, we sat down with the whole team, which is a small team. Yep. At the time of six people, we're now 10. Um, but we sat down with everybody and made them a part of the whole values piece and as a consequence came up with nine values that really matter to us. Mm. Uh, and they're things like um, do what you said you would do. As in, you know, don't say you're going to do something and don't do it. Um, uh, honesty is the best policy mm. is another one. Putting others first, seeking to grow, um, get stuff done. Play nicely is another one. As yep. in, you know, everyone's clever <clears throat> and everyone's different and everyone's important. So let's all help each other win. So mm. we, we nutted out nine of those and we were very clear on those things. We were very clear on our purpose, um, which is to make sending a joy. So even though we're essentially a software company um, and it's sometimes <laughs> kind of crazy, mm. crazy difficult at an engineering level to, to do what we do, um, in the end, we're just trying to take uh, an industry which is a bit difficult to deal with mm. and make it make it fun, make yeah. it pleasurable, make it joy. So, well, yeah, no, we're very much practicing what uh, what we've been talking about. Mm. Very good. And uh, I'll just give you a tiny plug. I use the services, I have done a couple of times, you know, and it, it was pretty joyous, actually. I, I love the language that you use in some of your notes and I... I remember I had a cause to um, query the whereabouts of a, of a parcel and got a fantastic response and done with a smile so and quickly. And that's the main thing, I think. And we find that, you know, we've, as I'm talking with you now, we've just launched our new website and it's, it's, we've got plenty of bugs and issues. And um, what we know is that we've got bugs and issues and we just need to respond to people courteously, quickly and fully and... It'll take a while to fix things, but um, yeah, just being up front and, and having a smile on your face when you're doing it makes such a difference. Now, look, I, I would just love to um, to sort of round up, if I may, by asking you a question that I ask most of our guests, which is, who's been um, a particular influence on you in, in your life, in your work, and what did that person teach you? Well, look, I'll give you I'll give you two very quick answers. So the first one is, and my my immediate response is, who I would say my father, mm. and what did he teach me? He taught me the value of honesty. Right. Uh, and so that was unfortunately my dad's still alive, and um, he's kind of living proof of that himself. And I I do my best to live up to that. I mm. think it's a valuable lesson. Um, but the second part is I, I've sort of I've sort of learnt the same um, had the same lesson taught to me by three different people in my career so far, and I mm. guess you know three's three's a kind of undeniable uh, pattern. Right. Um, and and so one was many years ago my my first business when I was uh, 21 years old I started the business, uh, and a woman called Ursula Huffnagel 
was a supplier of ours. She ran a, uh, it was a fashion business and she ran a modeling agency. And she mm. said to me one day, and I was just a kid and she was, you know, many years older than me, and she said, Craig, let me give you a lesson. Well, something very important. You must take this with you always. She said, you must always work with the best people you can find. And I went, thank you, Ursula. I think that's fantastic advice. <laughs> Not really understanding just how important it was. And then some years later, uh, I was working with a financial services company, they were a client, and this mm. client said to me, Craig, I want to give you a word of advice. And he said more or less the same thing. He mm. said, Craig, let me tell you, always work with the best people you can find. Mm. Um, and then uh, what a guy turned out to be my boss some years later in the advertising industry, the first conversation we ever had once he decided to hire me was a conversation along these same lines. And right. so, you know, for me, I have always tried to align myself or surround myself with the very best people that I can possibly find to work mm. with. And if I can just have 10 more seconds, I would yeah. say it's one of the absolute joys of what we're doing with Sendle because it's a small team, but they're brilliant and they're completely decent and wholehearted human mm. beings. So they're not only kind of clever, but they're also nice and, you know, I trust them and like them enormously. So, that, you know, that just makes all the difference in the world. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, look, and given that I know you're going off to yoga, you better tell me um, offline who your yoga teacher is, and I'll, as that person must, <laughs> must be the best there is as well. Anyway, look, Craig Davis, thank you so much for joining us. Now, if we want, to, so you've, we know we can find out about uh, the Conscious Capitalism Australia conference that's going on in June by uh, dropping that into Google. If we want to find out a little bit more about you, then I think the place to go is craigdavis.com. I think I'm right in saying. Uh, it's actually Craig Davis now, oh, you know, okay. okay. yes. craigdavisnow.com. All right. Well, look, Craig, thank you again. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, introducing us to conscious capitalism. And I'll be intrigued to see how our uh, community respond. And um, you've just reminded me that we need to get a link back up to our values document on our new website. So thank you. Oh, brilliant. All right. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Robert. Thank, thank you, you very much. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au. 